I wonder what rocks we brought in with us this morning. I'm not asking you to share that out loud. I'm just throwing that question, that thought. I don't care what age we are or any of the specifics about us. It's likely all of us came in this morning carrying a rock or two, and I wonder what those are. Because I wonder what God is asking us, what he's asking me, what he's asking you. In the next few minutes as we open up his word and we study his word, I wonder what it is that he's going to ask you to be willing to open up your hand and let it fall. What is it that we need to let go of this morning? We're in a series, 2 Corinthians, and we're calling this series Renovation. Renovation in the sense of remaking something, renewing something, changing something from what it is to what the master builder, if I can say it that way, intends it to be. Now, I know we, we live... In, in this world, in our, in our lives, we look at our car, we look at our garage, we look at our kitchen, we look at our teenagers' bedrooms, we look at different things in our life and we think, boy, this needs to be redone. This needs to be renovated from what it is to what it could be. But in our study, and using this word in 2 Corinthians, we're, we're asking what would it look like if we gave God the opportunity to sit down with us at the table with a cup of coffee and say, okay, Jesus, you have the freedom to remake me to look like however you want. You have the freedom to renovate my life, to construct the identity that you've given me in Jesus Christ. Remember our questions? Who am I in Christ? What has he done for me in adopting me into his family? Who am I to Christ, how does he see me here on this planet, in my marriage, in my family, in my neighborhood, in my workplace? How does he see me? Who am I to him? And then who am I for Jesus? How does he want me to live? Those questions set the table for me to say, okay, Jesus, show me how you want to renovate my life. Every single day, I look in the mirror I know you can't always tell by how I appear, but I do look in the mirror, and when I look in the mirror, I have the same thought. Wow, there needs to be some renovation of this before I leave the house. Now, there's a lot of different plans, right? You can take a shower, brush your teeth, do like, or if you're a guy, it, you just throw a hat on and a you know, fresh pair of shorts or something and a t-shirt that doesn't smell too bad, and voila, we've renovated. But God's renovation is much bigger than that, isn't it? And he wants to renovate our identity. When, when I ask you, what are you carrying, the rock that you're carrying, whatever it is that we're holding on to, and you, you heard some of the suggestions in that video of, of things that are happening internally that we're holding on to and he wants us to let go. If I'm holding on to those, whatever those rocks are, the renovation can't begin. In fact, that might be the first thing that you hear him say when you open his word and you're talking to him or you're in church and you're in a class and, and the word of God is being taught. The first thing that the spirit is, is prone to say to us is that rock that you're carrying. And in fact, you've got both hands filled with rocks and I want you to lay them down. I, I wonder what we're holding on to. And I wonder if what we're holding on to is hindering what God wants to do in my life. 
If, if I'm going to, and I did something yesterday, I worked on, on the kitchen, and I took a nail gun, and I was nailing some stuff, and foolishly, I tried to have the nail gun, I tried to have the caulking gun with the liquid nail, and of course I wanted my cup of coffee in my hand too, because I wanted to take a drink, and I, and it didn't, and I, uh, you know, so what did I need to do? I needed to put down the nail gun, I needed to put down the caulking gun, and then pick up the cup of coffee and drink. And you're laughing because like, well, duh, right, well, how dumb are you? But isn't that what we do in our walk with God? He speaks to us and he says, I want to transform you. I want to change who you are. You look in the mirror and you say, I don't like what I am. I don't like who I've become. And God says, me neither. I want to transform it. I want to make you to look more like my son Jesus. I want to do a renovation in your life. But you've got to first put down whatever it is that we're holding on to. And acknowledge that maybe we're hindering what God wants to do. And so, where are you in the renovation process? Where are you in the renovation process? You might be, in, I'm involved in one, several of them in my life. But spiritually, where are we in the renovation work that God wants to do in our life? Maybe we're meeting with the contractor. Maybe you're here this morning and you're just, you're just open to meeting with Jesus and hearing what he has for you. You sit down with the, with the contractor and you say, okay, what, what's the plan? What, what, what do we want to do? Maybe the architect is there. Maybe the interior designer. But the people that are shaping what's about to happen, maybe that's where you're, where you're at. Maybe you're just at a place where you're saying, okay, I'm not even sure I trust the contractor, the master planner. I'm not sure I trust Jesus, but I'm open to at least hearing to what he has to say. And a good contractor in that moment is going to look at your house, he's going to look at the project, and then they're going to go, this is what it could look like. This is what you have now, right? Here's the problems, here's the things that aren't working. Let me show you what could be. Let me show you what your kitchen could look like. Let me show you what your house could look like. God is saying, let me show you what your life could look like. And he is the master builder. And his plan for your identity, for my identity, who he has designed us to be. And maybe that's where you're at. Or maybe you're at permitting and permissions. Anybody done a project where you have to get permits and you got to get permission, right? And you got to get everybody to sign off. Well, this is the place that we're at sometimes where God has spoken to us. He's shown us what he wants to do, how he wants to work. And we're like, yeah, um, you know, and this happens in my house. We're going to do this, and that means right now we don't have an oven. Truly, we don't have an oven. It's sitting outside. And there's going to be a stage where we're not going to have a sink. And, there, you know, and I have this, this permitting process with Becky. Wait, wait, wait. What do you mean there's not going to be an oven? Well, are, is the microwave going to work? Is that, you know, and, we, and so we, ha- we have to get agreement, right, of what it's going to cost, what it's going to look like, what the challenges and the obstacles are, so that everybody says, I sign off. God's already signed off. He's ready to go. The, the weak or the waiting element is you and me saying, okay. It's, and, and he doesn't always tell us everything, right? No, he doesn't. And, and doesn't that happen in, in a renovation project too? Well, you didn't tell, any, tell me about the, the cost for the, the new water meter thing. Or you didn't tell me that, you know, that my, my, my plumbing was bad. It's going to cost me, an, you're going to have to tear up all that. I didn't, I didn't know about this. That happens in our spiritual walk with God too, our journey with him as he's renovating our lives. There's going to be those. We don't get to know everything, but he is looking for us to say yes. 
let's do this. You have permission. That, that sounds strange, but doesn't God wait for us to say yes? He does. He's so patient. He's so generous. He's so gracious with us. He doesn't just show up and start tearing things out. He says, I want to tear things out. I want to get rid of some stuff. I want to replace that. I want to do some new, fun, cool, amazing stuff in your life. Are you on board? Yes. Moving out of your space. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Some of you are shaking your heads because you've been there, right? It means upheaval. It means change. And maybe that's where you're at in God's renovation. Maybe he is making some changes. He's moving you to different spaces. He is moving things out. He's moving things in. He is rearranging things. Isn't that fun? No, it's not. It feels like chaos sometimes. And we got to hang on to, what are we doing again? Why are we doing this? Oh, that's right. Maybe we're at the moving out of your space. What about tear out and demolition? What a mess. Design choices. You're at that stage where you're beginning to put things back together. And I, I think I've shared with you before, I have a new mantra at this point in my life. I don't always have to have an opinion. That's my new mantra. I don't always have to have an opinion. Do I ha always have an opinion? Okay, who said that? Yes, I do, Dennis, yes. And I usually have a couple. And so in interacting with Becky, and look, we're going to do this, or hey, let's buy, paint this color, or let's put that piece of furniture, or let's redo, I want to redo the garage so that it's just got my stuff in it. I built a shed, a shed, a she shed in the backyard for her stuff. I want just my, and, but that's sometimes where we're at with God, right? As he's begun to rebuild things, we have opinions, do we not? About what we want our life to look like, how we want our life to be, what we, how we want to live. And maybe you're in that, or maybe you're in staging. This is a new thing to me. I, I, I know this has existed for a while, but it's where people come in to sell a house and they, they stage it, they make it look. And often in that moment where the staging, if you've walked into, maybe it's your own space, and you walk into it and you go, wow, I had no idea. I propose to you that that's what God wants to do in our lives. That as he's staging it and he's putting things in, in, in the place he wants them to be, and he's done the renovating and the tearing out, and now he's, and he's built, and he wants to, us to wake up and go, wow, I had no idea. I had no idea. That, Veronica mentioned last Sunday, the people being baptized. I had one of those I had no idea moments where I'm just sitting there, I, I Nate, come up, let's sing, and you led us in a song, and I just stood there, and I, I had no idea, God. I had no idea what you were doing and, and how you were planning this moment. And that's our Father's heart towards you and me in this life right here, right now. You with me? That's hard to believe sometimes, isn't it? So I wonder where we are in the process. Look at your Bibles with me. It'll be on the screens, and if you have your phone or your Bible, our text this morning, 2 Corinthians. I don't have a timer. Hey, hey, hey. Maybe, maybe do a 10-minute and a 5-minute or something so I know where. Where? No. I, I, so I, I'm free. I, yeah. Wow. Freedom. Just kidding. Don't worry. We'll be out by dinner time, I promise. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul is speaking and he says to the church in Corinth, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Are we beginning again to talk about who we are and our relationship with you? Or do we, Paul and his team, do we need, like some, like other teachers and traveling ministers, 
letters of recommendation to you or from you. You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, recognized and read by everyone. It is clear that you are Christ's letter produced by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on stone tablets, but on tablets that are hearts of flesh. We have this kind of confidence, and the confidence he is speaking of is what he just dictated. His rela- he just verbalized his relationship with the church in Corinth and who it was that was working in this relationship between Paul, the Apostle Paul, and the Christians in the church in Corinth. He says, that what I've just said, I have confidence in what I've just said. We have this kind of confidence towards God through Christ. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to consider anything is coming from ourselves, anything that God is doing in their lives. It's not coming from us, but our confidence. Do you see this? Our confidence is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers, servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit produces life. How do we identify a servant of God? How do we identify a servant of God, and we talked about leadership this morning, how do we identify who God's true servants are in others, but what about ourselves as well? Part of this renovation that God wants to do is our heart. In fact, that's a key part of it. Would you agree? And he mentions this idea of of what God is doing in them is done on their heart. He says, and, and Paul was an interesting apostle because he was given a lot of flack he was, he was not considered a legitimate apostle. You remember the apostles were those who had been directly commissioned by Jesus Christ. Remember? And when Judas did what he did, they had to get a twelfth one. And so they, they, they threw dice, lots, if you will. But they had a condition. The two, two uh, re- guys that might replace Judas, they had to have been with Jesus from his baptism. They had to experience his ministry and be personally commissioned by him. Well, where was the Apostle Paul, Saul, at that time? Yeah, he's trying to get rid of this whole way, all these people that are following this young carpenter from from Galilee who claimed to be God, who claimed to be the Messiah. And he wanted nothing, and he wanted no one else to have anything to do with it either. It was disrupting his faith in Jehovah. He did not see Jesus as the Messiah. But did Paul have a personal commission from Jesus Christ? He did, didn't he, in Acts chapter 9, didn't he? Jesus shows up and he's on his way to go arrest some more people and Jesus stops him. And you can read it in Acts 9 where he says, what are you doing? I have a whole different life for you on my team. Go and wait and then someone come, will come and tell you. And he comes, the messenger comes and he says, God has appointed you to be the apostle to the Gentiles. He has people that he wants you to reach. And Paul has his commission. We learn in another place in Paul's writing that he also had a physical issue. We're not sure what it was. Some believe it was his eyes. It was something that was, it was, it was enough that it was a distraction to people. Maybe his eyes oozed. Would that be a distraction this morning if my eyes were just running down my face and I had to keep wiping my... I don't know. But he had something going on. that people, There were all these different things that people saw him differently. And so part of his relationship, his journey with the church in Corinth, was establishing who he was, who Jesus, the identity Jesus had given him to be an apostle to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. And he had done that in Corinth. We read about it in the book of Acts. 
But this relationship with them was contentious. And so this part of the, his letter, he says, do I need to kind of start reminding you again? Do I, need, do I need to bring you letters from people that say, hey, listen to Paul, he's a good guy, he's an apostle? Or do I need letters from you saying, we accept you as an apostle? In this book, we'll, we'll read that there are people that are referred to as super apostles. Dun, dun, dun. You know, long before Marvel was around, there were super apostles that claimed to have a special message and to speak with a better, higher authority than the other apostles. And so all this is swirling and going on. And Paul says, do I need to do, no, we don't need to do that. Go, go back with me to that. Look, look, this part here. In verse 4, we have this kind of confidence, and again, it has to do with what God has done in your life, in the verses before that, what God has done in your life is evidence of that, conf- or that confirmation. He said, I don't need a letter. Well, Paul, what's the evidence that you're God's chosen apostle to send the message? He says it's them. It's their lives. It's the renovation that's been happening in their life. They're not the same church they were in 1 Corinthians, are they? Are they all, have they fin- are they all, they've all made it? No, there's still renovation going on. But Paul says it's your life that is the confirmation. And then as he gets into, sorry, I'm learning the buttons. He says the confidence that we have doesn't come from us. I want to be really clear, Paul says. It's not that I am a super apostle and because of what, what God's doing in your life is because of us, because of me. It's because of God working through us. See, they were servants of God. So how do we know what a true servant of God is in others? Or let me say it this way. We identified a few of our leaders this morning, and I shared with you just some, some, a snippet of, of their, their life and their leadership. How do we measure our leaders? But we've got to be careful, right? Because some of you love me. A few, a handful. Some of you don't like me. So is that a good measurement of if I am a faithful servant of God? Whether or not you like... Is it a popularity contest? No, it's not, is it? And, well, they think like me, they get me. They, no, it's not. The, how do we measure our leaders if they are true servants of the gospel, of the new covenant? And how do we recognize it in ourselves? So there's two directions I want you to be thinking with me. One is, let's measure our leaders the way God measures them. And then let's look inwardly and say, okay, am I, because many of you are serving. You're involved in ministry. Am I a true servant of God? Let's talk about this. A servant of God uses what they have to invest in others. Now, it's not just in this text, it's in Paul's entire relationship with the Corinthian church. He sacrificed for them. A true servant of God puts the needs of others before themselves. You with me? That is, defini- that is the definition of service. That is the example of Jesus in Philippians 2. Be like Jesus who, and then he explains, gave up, let go of, he didn't give up, he was still God, but he let go of what came with that so that he might take on the form of a, a servant. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And we just celebrated 
the resurrection, but we celebrated the week of passion, him going to the cross. Was that not sacrificial on his part? Was that not Jesus putting the needs of others before himself because he loved who he was serving and who was he serving? Us, mankind, for God so loved the world. A servant of God, someone who is serving the way God wants us to serve, uses whatever they have. Now let me pause there for a minute. Paul, I already talked a little bit about some of the, the, the shortcomings of Paul, or maybe, maybe not shortcomings, but the challenges that he had. We also believe from some text, and extra-biblical text, even kind of hints that maybe he wasn't that great of a speaker. Wow, that's like a... And I'm not saying that I'm a great speaker, but if you're, if you're a terrible speaker, you're probably not going to... You with me? Because we do, right? Isn't that how we measure sometimes? Who is a great speaker? They're funny. They're engaging. They, they look the part. They, we, we come to hear them speak. And we go, whoa. Well, Paul had all kinds of things against him, but one thing that he had is whatever God had given him, his story, his journey, his life, his knowledge of, of the word of God, everything, his time, his energy, his finances, everything that God had provided for him, he used it to invest in others. A servant of God depends on the power of the Spirit. Did you hear that in his words from this text? It's not about me. It's not about the, it's not about the leader. It's not about the one up front. It's not the, about the one who is leading ministry. It's not even about the one who is taking care of kids and changing diapers and making sure they're safe and, and, and teaching them about bees. Teaching them about things of nature and things that God has, has created. It's, it's, it's not about that person, is it? Is it? Is it all about me? Is it all about, hey, I said yes. You know, I lead the buds, or I lead the, we got new names coming, don't we? I lead the dumpers. Wait till you get, you get the dumpers. You know, yeah, look at me. I, it's not about me. And Paul's very clear, and Paul, he, he had a lot that he could potentially brag about and say, look at me, but instead, he makes it very clear, a servant of God depends on the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that brings the fruit that lasts and glorifies God. Now that's important on a, a couple different levels, but let me just point out one. If you're not serving because you think that you don't have what it takes, you don't, you're not ready, you're not equipped, stop thinking that way and step in and say, okay, here I am, God, use me. Because the power that comes to our serving is the Holy Spirit. It's not our gifts. God give, has given us gifts, and he's given us passions, and he's shaped us in a certain way that he wants to use us specifically for the good of the body. But the power to serve people, the power to see lives transformed, comes through the Spirit of God. Not my skill set or lack of. Come on now. Some of you are sitting there, and you've been sitting there a long time, and, you've, and, and you're sincere and saying, I just don't think I have what it takes. Amen. That's awesome. You don't. But the Spirit of God can take what you have and benefit other people. The servant of God depends on the power of the Holy Spirit. Number three, a servant of God serves the purposes of God, not their own. Now this, this can get a little ugly because we serve for the wrong reasons. Can we just say amen to that if you're willing? We serve for the wrong reasons, don't we? Remember Paul, he's addressing the church and he says, what if everybody was an eyeball? And he paints this picture of a giant, gooey eyeball rolling down Pharaoh's Boulevard. How, how, how would that work? Or what if it, this big, gigantic ear 
Everybody was an ear. How would that work? I'm not making this up. That's what he says. He says the body intentionally is all these different body parts all working together for the health of the body. It's not about me. It's not about you. And and so it's not about you going, hey, hey, nobody said anything about what I did. You ever been there? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. But it's, you know, I did something really, I showed up at the workday and nobody thanked me or nobody acknowledged it. What's going on? I'm, I'm serving for my own purpose. You with me? Can, you, can we own that? I'm serving because of what I get out of it. Or I'm serving because I, I want my identity to be shaped by how people see me. Man, he's good. She's amazing. Wow. Don't we sometimes crave that and live for that? And don't we sometimes continue to serve when we get that affirmation and then when it stops, we stop serving? Or what about serving in a way that's behind the scenes? We got these people that serve in these two booths back here. The only time you even think about them is when they do something wrong. Come on, just be real. When the sound's too loud or you can't hear or the lights come on at the wrong time or the video got started three times you can see the cursor on the screen you know they're trying to start it all those kind of and that's all oh, those people don't they know what they're doing come on these behind the scenes no or at least very little you know affirmation and the only affirmation is negative affirmation. what's going on we can serve for a lot of different reasons we can serve for our own purposes not the purposes of god What is the purpose of God? The purpose of God is that we would go and make disciples of all nations. Well, there's another little layer there. Don't we sometimes dictate or tell God who we're going to serve and who we're not? We do that sometimes. In-house or out-house, right? In the church and in ministry or out in the community and we're serving. We have a list of who we value, who we're going to serve. I would never serve junior hires. We had a guy that called them pre-people years ago. I would never serve, they're not even people. And you may have your list, and you are, by the way. You're good people, God's people. But you with me? We, we do, why? Because we, we have some agenda, we have some reason other than God's purposes to see disciples made that motivates us to serve. The servant of God serves for one reason, to serve the purposes, the eternal purposes of God. He wants this world to know who he is, and so he has left us here to make disciples who make disciples so that word goes out and people would know who Jesus is and why he came and what he did. Hope. He wants the world to have hope. He wants California to have hope. Now pay attention to me. He wants politicians to have hope. Okay, good. I was afraid you would kind of boo and hiss or something. He wants people to have hope, the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. A servant of God lives, they serve the purposes of God. And finally, a servant of God finds their identity in God's approval. Paul was very clear. I love you, Corinthian church, but you aren't my identity. And your approval, your affirmation, your going, oh, Paul, he's so amazing. Yes, he's a, he is a legitimate apostle of God. He says, that's not what I live for. That's not what I'm looking for. That's not where I find my affirmation. Are you listening? Okay. If you're not serving, maybe that's why. If you are serving, 
and you're struggling with this, maybe you're looking for approval from people rather than God. It's true. Human beings like me, we look for affirmation, and affirmation from people is a good thing, right? We're told to love one another, serve one another. But if at the end of the day, your affirmation, the craving that you have for value is found in what people say and do, you're going to be disappointed. And at some point, you're going to stop serving. You're going to serve for the wrong reasons, and then eventually you will stop serving. In fact, I'll, I'll go out on a limb. You'll stop being a part of a local church altogether at some point. If your approval that you're looking for is not coming from God. Verse 7. Don, where am I at time-wise? Okay, thank you. I want to try to keep us on track. Keep me on track. He goes on in verse 7. Now, if the ministry of death... You tracking with me? We've got to figure out... We, let's listen to the end here. What in the world? If the ministry of death chiseled in letters on stones... What does that sound like? It sounds like the Ten Commandments. Anybody watch Charlton Heston? <laughs> I just watched it recently, a few weeks ago. Some of you don't even know who Charlton Heston is, do you? Do you guys know who Charlton Heston is? He's Moses, is who he is. Moses. Okay. Rabbit trail. If the ministry of death chiseled on letters and stones, the law came with glory, so that the Israelites were not able to look directly at Moses' face because of the glory from his face. It faded, a fading glory. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious than that? Remember what moment he's talking about? Moses comes down from the mountain. He comes from meeting with God and literally his face glowed and it freaked people out. And so he would veil his face because they're like, and I've thought about this maybe too long. But I imagine trying to have a serious conversation with Becky when her face is just like glowing, you know, with, with luminescent. I'd be like, I, would, I couldn't have the conversation. I was like, I would be so distracted. They were freaked out. Your face is literally, Moses, do you realize your face is glowing? The glory of God has attached itself to you in part. For if the ministry of condemnation, man, ministry of death, ministry of condemnation, had glory, the ministry of righteousness overflows with even more glory. In fact, what had been glorious is not glorious now. The old covenant, the law that had glory and all that is revealed to us about God and who we are to him in the Old Testament... Would you agree there's some amazing glory in that, right? No? Have you read your Old Testament lately? And what God did, how he revealed himself, and, and then he gives the law to his people? There was some, that's some amazing glory of God. But if what was fading away was glorious, that Old Testament covenant, what endures will be even more glorious. Paul, what are you talking about? He's telling us that the old glory, the old covenant... If you open your Bible, it'll start with the Old Testament, which is another word for covenant. And the law is God's covenant, the covenant with Abraham, covenant with David. He gives the law and says, this is now the rules of my relationship with people. This is what you've got to do to be right with me. Here's the laws, the rules, and here are the sacrifices. Here is the system, and it's all good. But Paul reminds us that what it did is it led to death or it exposed the reality of sin leading to the consequence of death. Isn't that interesting? Because we're, we're living this existence people always have 
this existence that includes death. Have you ever thought about that? Everything, you know, is, quote, moving towards better and stronger and new, and, and yet, at the end of the day, we all still die. We're aging and we're dying. What is going on? And God says, well, what's going on is the wages of sin, the consequences of your sin is death. And it's physical death, but it's also death, separation from God. Physical death is the separation of my spirit, my soul from my body. You ever been with someone when they pass? It's evident immediately that something has left, something is different, something has changed. The person that you know and love, the person that you were there to be with, they're not there anymore. It's just their shell, their body. And what happens to that body? It turns back into to dust, to dirt. It's what we were made from. It's what we go back to. What's going on? The wages of sin is death. The consequences of our sin leads to death. And the law exposed that and it made it abundantly clear. But it had glory because it's God saying, you are all flawed, you're all broken, here's what you need to do to be right with me. You're not going to be able to do it. It's just going to confirm that you're all headed for death. But me giving you the law, me giving you the picture of redemption in the law, the sacrifice, the innocent lamb, everything that God gives us reveals his glory. Now, glory is an interesting word, and we've, we've, we've made it different things over time so that it, it's, it's positive, right? Glory is a good thing, and it's particularly, specifically attached to God and his majesty and who he is. The root, the Hebrew wor- root word for, that glory comes from simply means to give a view, to give a picture, to give a clear understanding, to go, oh, wow. My, my wife bought a dress recently, and she's not here. She's visiting her mom, so um, pray for me when she comes home Tuesday that I will survive when she watches this. Just telling you, honey, I love you. She buys this dress for a special event, and we get in the mail, and she's upstairs, and she's trying it on, and I'm downstairs. We have stairs. And she goes, hey, and I come around the corner, and she's standing at the top of the stairs, and she's got this dress on. And the the only word that came to mind was glory. (laughs) Like, wow. And I just had this view, this picture, this, wow. And that's what glory means at its root, is that it gives us this clear picture, this view of God. And Paul says the old covenant gives us a view of God's holiness. His holiness, is that not what the law tells us? That he is holy and I am not. And no matter how hard I try, he remains holy and I remain not. And the glory of God, the view of God is that, why in the world would he invite me into a relationship with him knowing my brokenness, our sin, and that we're not going to be able to meet those expectations. And yet he still gives it and invites people to come and to follow him and to serve him. But it ultimately leads to death, right? The Old Covenant gives us a view of God's holiness. The New Covenant, open your Bible, look right before Matthew, you'll find a page that says the New Testament or the New Covenant. You remember Jesus saying this juice, this bread, this wine, this bread, this is the New Covenant in my blood. This is the New Testament. This is the new dealings with God and man through the blood of shed blood of Jesus Christ. The new covenant gives us a view of what? God's grace. Now, neither is more important than the other, right? 
It, um, it is. They need the one. God, he doesn't change. His holiness doesn't change. His standards don't change. But neither does his grace. Together, they give us a view of God's glory. The old covenant, the new covenant, Paul says there's glory to both of them, but hold on. The glory that's, that's revealed about God and his holiness and that he is a holy God and I am a sinful man and I have no ability, no matter how hard, hard I try to get to him. There's glory there, would you agree? Because I get this view of who God is. Isaiah 6, high and lifted up and he's holy, but, but it's a fading glory because then it moves to the reality that I am a sinful, broken man and I have nothing to bring to him that would establish my relationship with him. So the new covenant, through the blood of Jesus Christ, where the Spirit comes in. Did you hear Paul talk about the Spirit? The Spirit comes in, and now it's the ministry of righteousness, or the ministry of life. The ministry of the Spirit. And he says, if there's glory in God saying, hey, I'm holy, and I want you guys to know me, there's even more glory, lasting glory, because that points us to our death, but the new covenant, the ministry of the Spirit, points us to life, eternal. Come on now. Together, they give us a view of God's glory. So here's, here's the summary for me. A servant of God, because every time you read ministry in your, in your Bible, it's, it's literally service. It's service. Serving the, the covenant. Serving the covenant. Serving one another. A servant of God. And so back to how do we identify if our leaders are in different positions, different roles, or are serving. If they're truly aligned with God as servants of God. A servant of God lives to give others a view of God. Now you can also take that and you put that into yourself. Whatever, however it is that you're serving. And again, maybe you're not serving. Maybe this will help you. Say, yes, God, help me know what my gifts and, and passions are. And I'm going to begin to serve in some way. Because I want to be someone who lives to give others a view of God. I want people to see the glory of God. Do you see the connection? I want people from my life to see the holiness of God. I want them to recognize that I'm not sinful, or that I am sinful, that he's holy, and that we're all in the same boat, but that God has invited us into a relationship with him. And then I want them to see the glory of grace in my life, the ministry of the Spirit in me, in my words, in my actions, in my leading, in my serving, in all of my relationships. I, if I'm going to be a servant of God want to live my life in such a way that I'm giving the people that I serve, the people that I interact with, the people that I talk with, the people that I'm sitting next to, the people that I have lunch with today, the people that I live with in my home and work with, I want them to see a clear picture of God's glory. And the glory of God is that he is holy and he is gracious. They don't, they don't fit, but that's the glory of God. That he is absolutely holy, pure, and he's gracious. If you and I were in his presence as sinners, it would overwhelm us, it would devastate us. We would be Isaiah in chapter 6. I'm undone because I'm a sinful man. But then the angel comes over with the ember and he experiences the grace of God. And anybody remember what happens next? He says, who will we send? Who do we, we, we're looking for a servant. And Oliver says, here I am, Lord, send me. Do you see what Paul's saying? A, a servant of God is someone who lives to give a view of God to others. So 
I come back to this question, where are we? Where are we in the renovation that God wants to do in our lives? He wants to turn your heart that is hard, and he wants it to be soft. What does that mean? It means that he wants you to say, okay, God, I'm let, remember when I had things in my hand? I'm laying them down. I'm done holding on to these things. I've been so hard-hearted. I've just held on to these things, and I've, I've not been willing to live a life of service as your child, and so I'm going to let go of these things, and I'm, I'm going to invite you into this process with me because I want to have a soft heart that loves God and loves people. I want to give people a view of God's glory. Let's consider these questions as we move into a time of response. What is hindering God's renovation in me? Can you identify that between you and God? If you're married, maybe you would do it as a couple. What is hindering? What am I holding in my hands? What's hindering him from moving forward with the renovation plans he has? Number two, how am I serving? Ask yourself, you say, well, I'm not serving. How should I be serving? Should everyone who is a child of God be serving? I'm going to say it one more time because that was a lame response. Everyone who has put their faith in Jesus, every disciple of Jesus, should they all be serving? Yes, Yes, we should. Thank you. Let him soften our heart. Because some of you who just said yes, and I don't know who you are, I'll close my eyes, some of you who just said yes are not serving. So identify what that is. What's hindering that? How should I be? And finally, how do people see God's glory in me? Do some reflection. Your marriage, your kids, your teenagers, your little, your grandkids, your coworkers, your neighbors, do they see the holiness of God in you? Or do they see your sinfulness, your brokenness? What predominates? rises to the top and do they see grace god's grace in you and hear god's grace in my words my co-workers my boss my spouse my kids you with me how do the people in my life see god's glory we're going to move to a time of response and i want to invite the worship team out and as they're coming out I want to invite you with me to whatever this looks like for you. It might be you just lay the stuff down next to you and you close your eyes. It might be that you fold your hands. Um, It might be that you go to your knees. It might be you stand up. It might mean that you just lift your eyes up and, and begin to talk to God. But prepare your heart to respond to what God has spoken to you about. It's not important that you heard my voice. It's important that you hear his voice. And he has been speaking. And in this moment before us, the Holy Spirit is moving in us to respond according to how he has worked. In a few minutes when we begin to sing, the the tables, the four tables in the room will be open. And you can come when you are prepared, when your heart is ready. When your heart is no longer hard, but it's soft and ready to let go. You holding something? You have a rock in your hand? If you're a child of God, you're invited to the table, but he does ask you to let go of the rock, to lay it down. Sin, hatred, resentment, fear, whatever you're holding on, to lay it down. And as we sing in a minute, you give him your heart so that you're prepared to come to the table. There are people in the back. They're there every week. You know why they're there? Because they want to walk alongside of you with a soft heart so that your heart is also soft 
bring before God how it is that he needs to renovate your life. You may need to go to the tables this morning and you may need to just let go of that rock and you need a brother or sister to, to help you. Just let go. You might acknowledge that you're stuck somewhere in the renovation project and you need the Holy Spirit to take over and say, okay, I'm ready. Whatever it is, they're there. Brothers and sisters are there to pray with you. If you brought a gift this morning, our giving to God is worship. Would you agree? I know we give online, we do different things, but we have boxes here because some choose to give. And if you give online, give as worship, please. Make that a moment of worship, yours. But if you came with a gift this morning, this is the time that you can give that gift to God in worship. I'm gonna invite you to join me in a prayer and we're gonna respond. Father, thank you for showing up. Every time we come together, in spite of all the obstacles and the challenges and the things that are in the way, you're here present and you're working and you're moving and we need your spirit right now to work in us and through us so that we can serve one another that we can glorify you that we can bless you lifting our voices from hearts that are full of gratitude and surrender or coming to your son's table and remembering what we need to let go of and what we need to grab onto what you have done for us Jesus through the cross Holy Spirit speak Give us ears to listen. In Jesus' name, amen.